This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Great to have you. As always, an honor, a pleasure, a privilege. Good to have you here with me. 888-900-3393. There's an anniversary today. I know yesterday was Martin Luther King Day. I find it interesting that we hear so much more Dr. Martin Luther King instead of Reverend, but that's as an aside. Pointed out to me by a friend, there seems to have been a change. I don't really know. Well, we could take some guesses. Yesterday was Martin Luther King Day, federal holiday. Today is a day of considerable historical note, and I suppose that's a pun. It's the 100th anniversary of the Zimmerman note or the Zimmerman telegram falling into British hands. For those that don't know, and I know many of you probably know well enough to stand up and, and give a history class lecture on this yourselves, uh, but the Zimmerman Telegram, as it's most widely known, was a proposal that asked that the German government in the First World War was asking Mexico if they would, upon the beginning of hostilities between Germany and the United States in the First World War, the Mexican government would declare war on the United States to try to bog us down and prevent the assistance mostly of supplies at first and then also of men and, uh, of men onto the Western Front because the Germans were going to be resuming unrestricted submarine warfare, just taking out all of the shipping they could in the Atlantic on the way to Europe. And the British blockade against the Germans had been quite effective. And so the Germans, in a rather devious move, tried to coax the Mexican uh, government into attacking the United States if there was going to be a war. This was one of the most momentous intelligence coups. This was one of the most important moments of uh, cryptanalysis, of decrypting a secret message in history, there are those who will argue that the Zimmerman telegram wasn't as important as some people say. There, There is certainly a back and forth as to how much of an effect it had on sort of like when we're talking about the Russian hack of John Podesta's account in the DNC. Did it change the game? I think that when you look at the totality of what the Zimmerman note, uh, the Zimmerman telegram, also known as a Zimmerman note, what it did at the time, it was, even if it wasn't the prime mover or the prime motivator for U.S. entry into the First World War, it very well may have been the straw that broke the camel's back of neutrality. The U.S. was, under Woodrow Wilson, staying neutral in the First World War. 
he kept us out of war was, in fact, the slogan that Wilson ran on to uh, win a second term in office. So Wilson was supposed to be a hero for all of this. Uh, Woodrow Wilson, who is among, when you think of the worst presidents in history, uh, you have to think that this was, uh, this is one of the guys at the very top of the list. Interesting that Princeton University, a very politically correct place, has the Woodrow Wilson School, despite the fact that Wilson was a, a just a blatant racist. But he was trying to keep a neutral posture in the United States. Also, domestic political opinion in this country at the time was very divided. There were anti, there was strong anti-British sentiment. There was pro-German sentiment. There were a lot of German immigrants, large waves of German and Irish, Irish immigrants into this country in the 1880s, around the 20th century, and in the early 20th century. And so they have, when you got a lot of Irishmen around, especially in the 19th century or the 20th century, you got a lot of anti-British sentiment, and clearly the same with the Germans who felt a kinship with their German countrymen. And there was still a lot of anti-Mexican sentiment in the United States as well, and I'll get into how that was capitalized on. But back to the intelligence aspect of this, and also the propaganda component, I think you'll see that we'll pull some of these threads together and look at what's happening now in this country and the way that Governments in the past manipulated public opinion with intelligence to great effect. And the Zimmerman telegram was an instance where the British, because they had cut the transatlantic cables that the Germans would have had to use for uh, communications, diplomatic communications, the British were willing to allow, and it's fascinating that the Germans couldn't figure out that, but the, keep in mind, this is the very earliest days of, of both telegraph communication and, and also of, of cryptanalysis as a real military discipline. There had always been people that writing in code on parchment or sheets of paper, but now code breaking in the 20th century became important. And then, of course, in the Second World War, we've, you may have seen the imitation game, uh, the story of Bletchley Park, the British precursor to our own NSA. Code breaking became critical and the Enigma machine and the, the role of code breaking in the Second World War is better known. But the Zimmerman telegram is the best known instance of it in the First World War. The Brits were allowing the Germans to use uh, to use the existing telegraph infrastructure, underground, undersea cables to send their diplomatic messages. Now, the Germans figured we've just got this stuff coded so that it is in transit doesn't really matter. They didn't realize that the Brits in a little room called Room 40 today, 100 years ago today. So we are on the 100th anniversary of this right now. And if you want a book recommendation, Barbara Tuckman, who did The Guns of August, which is a phenomenal book on the First World War, the first really outbreak of the, of the First World War, and what's known as the Battle of the Frontiers, one of the bloodiest periods in that war, Tuckman also wrote a, a sh considerably shorter, easier read, The Zimmerman Telegram. And she's a, an excellent historian on these matters. So if you're looking for a book on it, I'd recommend that one to you. But 100 years ago today, in Room 40, in the UK, these uh, cryptographers, these code-cracking specialists, came upon something. At a period when the U.S. seemed like it was going to stay out of the war, the Brits 
or was, was certainly trying to stay out of the war and had for a number of years, the Brits found the following sent to the German embassy in uh, it was it was going from Berlin and then going to make its way to Mexico for relay to the president of Mexico. The decoded telegram reads as follows. We intend to begin on the 1st of February unrestricted submarine warfare. We shall endeavor in spite of this to keep the United States of America neutral. In the event of this not succeeding, we make Mexico a proposal of alliance on the following basis. Make war together, make peace together, generous financial support and an understanding on our part that Mexico is to reconquer the lost territory in, get ready for it, Texas, New Mexico, and Arizona. The settlement in detail is left to you. You'll inform the president of the above most secretly as soon as the outbreak of war with the United States of America is certain and add the suggestion that he should, on his own initiative, invite Japan to immediate adherence and at the same time mediate between Japan and ourselves. Please call the president's attention to the fact that the ruthless employment of our submarines now offers the prospect of compelling England in a few months to make peace. Signed, Zimmerman. Arthur Zimmerman, the foreign secretary of the German Empire. And that was sent to the German ambassador to Mexico, Heinrich von Eckhart. You can imagine when this was released, and they held it for a while for maximum impact, the Brits didn't want to expose that they had cracked uh, the German code, and they also didn't really want everybody to figure out that they were reading all this diplomatic traffic. And so they held this and finally released it, I believe, in March, and the U.S. declared war on uh, Germany in April, the following month. So they had been hoping to get U.S. public opinion riled up. You can imagine that an, a, even a proposal from the German government Despite the fact that the U.S. had stayed neutral for the opening years of World War One, a proposal that sought not only to have Mexico stab the United States in the back, but also to carve up the territories of New Mexico, Arizona, and Texas from the United States and invite Japan in as well. Perhaps Japan wanted a piece of, of California in the Pacific Northwest. That this was even under consideration at the very top of the German government, of course, set the American people into a frenzy. Uh, there was a lot of outrage and anger over this. But the information was held and the information was massaged so that the sources and methods would be obscured and that the U.S. would throw its own military might into the Western Front of the First World War and suffer uh, horrific casualties alongside the allied powers with us. Uh, so this was an enormously important historical event. World War One, of course, leads directly to World War Two, and the whole shape of the world as we know it, both geographically and, and historically and socially and economically, was in many ways set in motion and determined by those two conflicts. But World War One leads directly into World War Two for reasons that you all know. And our entry into World War One dramatically changed the path and future of this country and it at least in part came from what you could call perhaps a, a dossier a dossier that made its way into British hands that British intelligence held 
and then released not just to the American government, but also with the purpose of releasing it to the press because they really wanted to inflame American public opinion. Mexico wasn't going to invade the United States. They would have gotten their butts kicked and they knew it. But that the Germans would even think about this and that the Mexicans would somehow be brought into this as co-conspirators was enough to change the tide of public opinion. It was about perception. It was an information operation against the American people. Based in truth, but nonetheless used for political purposes. Used for a very specific end, in this case, getting the United States, the population of this country, to be willing to commit to a brutal and bloody war that before then, yes, we had been certainly hit heavily with the unrestricted submarine warfare of the Germans, but we had tried to stay out of it. And they wanted to affect the way we viewed the First World War. And this one note that I read, the, I read the entirety of the decrepit message to you, played a, well, a role, you can debate how large or small, but a role in getting the United States to commit to the First World War, which leads to the Second World War, which changes the world that we live in today. Governments and the people who work in them understand the importance of information, and they understand the importance of timing. And once they have certain bits of information, they are not above holding on to them and then releasing them in the public domain specifically to achieve a partisan end. There was a lot of anti-war sentiment in this country. There was some pro-war sentiment in this country. Wilson uh, and, well, the Brits, rather, wanted to change that. And those in this country who wanted U.S. entry in the First World War were willing to go along with it. And the media and the newspapers reported on it at the time. And it changed the course of history. But governments, whether the British or the U.S. and the media, play games with us all the time. This does happen. This is not a new thing. This is not a new phenomenon. They understand the impact that one bit of information can have. And the media, whether we're talking about Nixon or any number of other issues, thinks that they can bring down administrations and presidents with just one well-timed release of information. This is what the hope is right now with Trump taking office in just a few days. They want a Zimmerman telegram moment. They want something that will completely destroy this administration, that will force Donald Trump out of office, either through resignation or impeachment and removal by the Senate. This, that's the game that they're playing. And understand that you've got elements inside the government, whether they're elected or supposed civil servants, colluding with the media so that there will be a Zimmerman telegram moment for the Trump administration. They're trying to find one. They're trying to concoct one if they have to. A hundred years ago today, very important moment. Could you imagine being that British cryptographer sitting there when you finally realize what you have in your hands? Some little boring room in the UK. Change the course of world events. All right, team, much more coming. I'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network.
Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. There's so much nonsense, dreck, crap, garbage, we could do this all day, currently getting published with the Trump inauguration coming up at the end of this week. I saw this piece on on CNN.com, a website for which I have written numerous times in the past and still do from time to time if I feel like it. If I want to get really, really nasty, semi-literate emails sent to me by CNN.com readers. Uh, but here, here is a sampling of the sort of argument that is now being passed off as acceptable uh, from the left. Not even acceptable, I'm sorry, as fashionable. This is the sort of stuff that people are writing and saying and spreading. Trump is, a, is following the authoritarian playbook. And let me read you a little bit from this. In less than a week, America will embark on a new political experience ruled by an authoritarian president. Donald Trump won the Electoral College but lost the popular vote by nearly three million. So for every American who looks forward to the Trump era, there is likely another who fears he will lead us into ruin. OK, let's stop right there. Just because you didn't vote for Donald Trump doesn't mean you are, I hope, at least, I think this is a provable point, a hysteric who thinks that the president is going to, quote, lead us into ruin. Maybe you really believe in Obamacare. Maybe you really think that Republicans are all just this big secret society that are hoping to pull together an assault on women's rights or whatever the Democrat flavor of the moment is. Maybe you believe all that doesn't necessarily mean you think that Trump is going to, quote, lead us into ruin. That's a pretty strong statement. Uh, But she goes even further than that. She talks about loyalty to a person over party or set of principles. Uh, She then says that he has a penchant for aggression and serial untruth. Now, I have been willing to say, uh, I have been willing to say for quite a, a long time here, or quite a while since Trump's been something we've had to talk about that the guy does things that I don't particularly like. I don't say, I wouldn't say things the way that he says things, obviously, but there are criticisms that are fair and that are criticisms that are just meant to smear. And we've gotten into a cacophony of smears. It's just a constant, uh, a constant noise from the left as to how terrible and authoritarian and, and vicious he will be. I don't seem to recall any think pieces that were written when Barack Obama was just about to take office. I was living in D.C. at the time, and it was like carnival. I mean, people were just dancing in the streets, parties everywhere, lots of celebration. All these, all these first-tier music acts were coming into town and celebrities, and it was like Hollywood really did descend up upon D.C. for the first time, and other than, I guess, Obama's re-election the last time for quite some time. That was the that was the vibe then. 
The vibe now is we have an authoritarian and he's going to destroy us all. He's going to dest- he's going to lead this country to ruin. I-, I do recall Barack Obama coming into office with both houses of Congress or both sides of the Congress in his pocket. The Democrats controlling the House and the Senate and the president promising to fundamentally transform the United States of America. And those who now stand up and hold the little little copy of the Constitution that I've just discovered in the last couple of months and want to warn us constantly about how the, the, the media needs to be standing up to Trump and needs to protect us from Trump. And they were they were silent when Obama came into office with much more of a, a sense that he was going to dramatically alter this country and to in some ways abrogate the Constitution and just replace it with a cult of personality and executive power. Those who now want to warn us about a cult of personality and authoritarianism in the Oval Office who weren't doing so eight years ago have no credibility. This is part of the problem we have right now with the media. Sure, some media organizations want to get back to their roots and start doing the sort of gumshoe journalism we expect from them, but it's too late. They were cheerleaders for eight years of Obama and then for the entirety of Hillary Clinton's just pathetically uh, corrupt and dishonest campaign. They were cheerleaders for her and they threw everything they had at destroying Donald Trump. So if you were lecturing us about authoritarianism eight years ago, maybe I'll listen now. But if fundamentally transforming America isn't scary to you, I don't know what else there is to say. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Team phone lines are open 888-900-3393. Sponsor this hour is silencershop.com. Silencer Shop is the place to go to get a silencer as the must-have accessory for your firearm. Silencer makes shooting more enjoyable. It reduces the blast to a much more comfortable level. And with a silencer on your firearm, there are many advantages such as better accuracy and reduced recoil. And by the way, if you're going to talk about service, Silencer Shop has got you covered. Silencershop.com is just like buying local since your local dealer sets the price and makes the profit. So now you can get the best price and know you're supporting your local business. Sansa Shop offers the best selection of products from the top brands and tries to keep all the most popular models in stock. That's going to help you get what you want faster. So SansaShop.com is the place to go. Again, that is SansaShop.com. Help make the world a quieter place. Uh, do we have the audio of, uh, do we have any more audio of, um, not the DNI, of, of Brennan, CIA director, who's talking about how, you know, he's all upset that Trump said the mean things about the CIA. Do we have any of that? I might, I'm just guessing here if we might have it, but uh, we don't. All right, maybe we'll pull some in a few minutes. Uh, Brennan uh, is fighting is fighting back, according to the Daily Mail here. The CIA boss says the dirty dossier it really, guys, it was only a matter of time before that alliteration found its way into our daily lexicon, the dirty dossier. Woo. The dirty dossier. Sounds like a movie. Sounds like a movie that you could order in a hotel room, but then they have to tell you that it's, uh, you know, adult only. The dirty dossier. 
um, didn't come from inside the Intel community, according to Brennan. And outgoing CI director Brennan claims he had not even read Le Dirty Dossier. Uh, and do people, I, I heard, I've heard a few anchors say Dossier. Is this, is this sort of like Notre Dame now? Is this the Americanization of Dossier that's happening right before us? Or are, are we going there? I, I know everyone's supposed to say Dossier, but I've heard a couple of Dossier. Hey, you got your Dossier? I got a Dossier right here. It's a dirty dossier. Uh, Brennan insists, back to this piece here, Brennan insists that he was not the one who leaked this. Uh, He said it was the FBI, not the CIA, that briefed Trump on its existence. I I need clarity here. I need to know. uh, I need to know. Oh, This was in a Wall Street Journal interview uh, that Brennan said that he was not the leaker of this. Brennan is known, as I told you, inside IC circles as a guy who leaks and likes to get the press thinking certain things he is a white house partisan this is not a career this is not a career civil servant without any history of partisan inclination Um, brennan says the dossier had been circulating for months and he said he had quote no interest in trying to give that dossier any additional airtime well i i need to know what exactly the purpose of including this in any briefing for the president was and who leaked it? Not who leaked the dossier. See, they, they love to get you caught up in the uh, in the specifics here. Not who leaked the contents of the dossier. They were already out there. But who leaked that it was included in a formal briefing for the president? And then why was that news? It was news because there's an implication that they're doing this specifically because they think there must be some truth to it. I even had people, journalists on Twitter from verified accounts, say, oh, just wait until they prove this. You really think they're going to prove this? Do you think that this thing is real? I, I hate to say it, but find it, I, you, know, you find that some of what Putin says on this is more believable than what some very revered journalists are saying and i know that puts one in a in a strange position but then again i've seen a lot of julian assange from wikileaks on fox news recently and i've seen a lot of glenn greenwald on fox news there's all sorts of realignments that are happening right now over these issues between the ideological right and left it's dizzying it is tough to keep up Uh, But Brennan also, because he understands that he needs to make this about how Trump is mean and is a bully and is a jerk, he says, quote, I found it very repugnant and will forever stand up for the integrity and patriotism of my officers who have done much over the years to sacrifice for their fellow citizens. Uh, Trump said that when he said, what are we in Nazi Germany? He didn't call the intelligence agents and officers Nazis. This this reminds me of the way that there was a, a transformation, and I should have spent a little more time, really, I think, on the John Lewis-Trump feud earlier in the week and right before Martin Luther King Day, that the way that it started to get covered or, or from the responses I was seeing online, there seemed to be this very abrupt shift and this changing narrative that went from uh, Trump said... Um, or rather, yeah, that, that that John Lewis said something mean about Trump, and then Trump responded, and Trump responded in a way that I think was unwise, but he likes to respond, he likes to punch back even harder, I get it. But by the end of the day, it turned into Donald Trump 
assails civil rights hero right before Martin Luther King Day for no reason. And on this CIA story, it's Donald Trump attacks the intelligence community and degrades the memory of fallen officers from the CIA. And that's not what this is about at all. And that's not what Trump has made it about either. But Brennan is trying to obscure things. Brennan is trying to make this all quite a bit more complicated. And by muddying the waters, by making things more murky than they would otherwise be, he has the latitude to shift the conversation away from who the heck included this dossier and why was it told to anybody who was going to leak it to the press that it was included to, oh, uh, Trump is standing on the is uh, standing on the graves, mocking the graves of, of dead intelligence officers. I mean, this is complete nonsense. The intelligence community is absolutely huge. It is vast. It is having been inside it. That's one of the things you have to get used to very quickly. You come to recognize that you are a very small piece in an enormous machine. You are just, you know, one of the Oompa Loompas in the ch- in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. I mean, there's a and there's a ton of them. There's a ton of them. Uh, I was one of them. So you get used to that idea real fast. You sort of have this thinking because if you watch James Bond movies, it's you know Bond. Your reckless behavior. They've got M and got this cool British accent, and he's wearing black tie all the time, which, let's be honest, guys, black tie, it's just not that comfortable. He's driving around in Aston Martins, spending money at the roulette wheel in Monaco. No, you want to know what being, being an intelligence officer is showing up to a cubicle, not an office, at least not for the first 10 to 15 years or so, showing up to a cubicle just bathed in beige, and sitting down in an uncomfortable chair and hoping to have somebody from IT show up at some point to give you your passwords to access your programs and your email and, and all the rest of it. And you start reading and going to meetings. That's what it's. Yeah, there's cooler stuff. And I've told you about some of that. But that's really what the job is. But the notion that Donald Trump, who's clearly sparring with the political appointees like Brennan, like Clapper, who are at the head of these organizations, uh, the idea that the morale is down in the CIA, morale is down in the CIA for a while because Obama doesn't think the CIA has that much useful information. Obama thinks he's, no, that he knows more about his policy, more about policy than his policy directors, by his own words. It's true of Intel, too. Just likes to read the stuff, whether he pays attention or not, doesn't matter. Obama really is a know-it-all. And always has been somebody who thinks that his knowledge and his experience and his wisdom greatly exceed what they are. That was noted in the intelligence community. People were always mocking Bush. Bush had a really crazy idea when he was president during the Iraq war. His idea was, I want the person who's the smartest on the issue to come and talk to me about it. I don't want someone who's pretending to be the person who's smart on the issue. Bring me the person who actually don't bring me something someone else wrote and try to explain it to me. Bring me the person who wrote it. And that's how you get people that are as young as I was at the time going in to brief the president of the United States. Because other than that, you got somebody pretending to know what I know, reading what I wrote the morning before going into the president and briefing him. So Bush cared. Was that the right move? Did he take too much time? There's been all this analysis of this after the fact. Well, Obama, it's, yeah, leave, you know, leave, leave it at the door, kid. See you later. So let's not pretend now that there's this Democrat reverence for the intelligence community. 
But some GS-10 or even a GS-15 or GS-whatever employee anywhere in the intelligence community isn't sitting around saying, I feel so bad about myself because Donald Trump said something mean about the leak. They don't care. It doesn't affect you. It doesn't change your day-to-day. It doesn't, look, doesn't hurt your health benefits. doesn't hurt your paycheck. doesn't do anything. And we all know this. Now, there is a possible reality where Donald Trump cuts back the intel community and reforms it, which would, I think, be a good thing if he did it with the input and knowledge of people who really know what they're doing. I mean, career intel officers that recognize that 20% of the people do 80% of the work and that you don't need the other 80%. Maybe you're not going to take them all and put them out on the street, but you can pare things down, not necessarily backfill positions as people retire. There are ways to do this over time. Because it is just an unwieldy beast. It is vast. But the narrative is not that Trump is having a fight with political appointees who run these intel agencies. Who, by the way, if they told members of the Senate that they were planning on telling the president-elect this, they don't have to do that. That's not how it goes. They don't have to. As I said, this could have all been on a phone call on a secure line from from Brennan or from Clapper, more likely, because he's the DNI, to the president about this dirty dossier. Oh, yes. Would you like to read my dirty dossier? It is many salacious detail. It is uh, very, uh, very enticing. The dirty dossier. We could have a lot of fun with this. I, I kind of want to start doing a branded segment. Yeah, another day of the dirty dossier. May we be in But, yeah. That's not the way it's being presented. It's being presented as Trump spitting on the graves of dead intel officers. You know, Trump spray painting over the stars in the lobby at Langley. And it's just a lie and it's not what's happening. And that Brennan's playing in it goes to show you that he's a political infighter. He is a pugnacious partisan bureaucrat. It's what he does. That's why he's distracting us with all this other nonsense. All right. uh, Phones are open, team. 888-900-3393. Also, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. Well, Tim, you can put this in the category that I I always talk to you about of jobs that are really hard to get but easy to do and how we should be much less impressed by people who oftentimes their job consists of going to meetings, sending emails, talking to people. It's pretty much what the president does. Hard job to get, don't get me wrong, but not necessarily that hard a job to do. It's a hard job to do well, but it's not a hard job to just show up for. Uh, President Obama, I mean, how many of us are really that? impressed with jimmy carter you think of some of the people how many how impressed be honest how impressed are you with george w bush i i mean impressed not that he's a good guy and meant well for the country how impressive do you find him Uh, okay but obama we got a final tally here in the uh two terms of his presidency he has played golf 333 times according to the washington examiner you know, there's a case to be made that when you're the leader of the free world and you're 
sitting on the gold mine of a $15 million book advance as soon as you're done, countless speaking engagements. I mean, Obama is going to, Obama and, and uh, Mr. and Mrs. Obama are going to be worth $100 million pretty quickly here. It's just going to be from, instead of selling access for, well, we'll see with the Michelle Obama, if she's going to run or not, but instead of selling access like the Clintons, he's going to be sort of selling the Obama brand, which, you know what, this is American, he's allowed to do that. Fine. I feel it's very different than Obama is going to get checks for 500 grand to give speeches places. You know, Obama is going to be on the board of major companies where you get paid a lot of money to show up a couple of times a year. That sort of stuff. He's going to get $15 million for his memoir. Those sorts of things. That's is America, right? Capitalism. That's what the market will bear on this stuff. He's not necessarily, I don't see this yet, going to be setting up a fake charity and taking in $2 billion of donations and a lot of money for himself, as the Clintons did. So that's a different issue. But 330, 333 rounds of golf, I don't play golf. I've got a father who plays a fair amount of golf, and I just know from him and his schedule and whatever that's golf day, it's really a, it's certainly a half-day affair. I mean, it's four hours to play 18 holes, and by the time you get out there, you have lunch, it's a most-of-the-day thing to play 18 holes. So you can do the math on this, too. You look at this, and of the eight years that Obama was president, there was almost a year's worth of days that he spent playing golf. Now, I know that this, for some people, gets all sensitive, and we're not allowed to talk about this. I don't, I don't know why he's being paid by the public. This is out there. This is not a made-up number. This is agreed upon. 333 days spent almost... Uh, what are we going to say that the, there was a lot of work being done when he was on the golf course? Spent almost a year's worth of days, of work days, because it's at least four, five, six hours. So maybe we're going to say it's a half day, but on the golf course. Obama's a, especially for president, a young, healthy guy. He's got a lot of time to play golf now. I think he could have cut it back a little bit, and I don't think that makes me a mean person or a jerk for pointing this out. I think a lot of us who sit around who haven't been able to take more than a week of vacation total in years, maybe you haven't even taken a week in years, feel like this is the leader of the free world? This is the way that he runs his schedule? Give me, I want that job. What, maybe being president isn't so hard. Back in a few. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.